Hello. Hello, everyone. How's it going? It's me, Rob. It's nice to talk with you. Uh, it's a solo app today. Uh, Jordan's been carrying me a bit over the last couple of weeks with a couple of uh, solo episodes, so I thought I'd return the favor this week. Last week's episode, actually, when I wasn't around, I was at the, the launch party for a brand new website, uh, which I, I was helping to promote and put together. If you're one of our Canadian listeners, I know, I think it's about 15% of the show's listeners are in Canada, so uh, the website, if you're interested, and if you don't live in Canada also, and you can, maybe you can learn something about another culture in another country. What about that? How about that? Anyway, the website is www.unrigged.ca. Uh, it's just this new website where all the kind of independent progressive media across Canada is all being collected into one spot. A lot of really great outlets and, and journalists and activists and uh, analysts are contributing to that. It's really, really fantastic. So if you want to check that out, um, it's www.unrigged.ca. Today on the show, we've got a returning guest, Kylie Chung. Uh, was happy to be able to speak with her. We talked a lot about this kind of this wave of uh, sort of neo McCarthyism that's affecting Hollywood right now. The, the two most recent examples is Susan Sarandon being dropped by her agency uh, over comments that she made uh, in support of Palestinians. And there's also the story with uh, Melissa Barrera, who just was fired from the Scream franchise. She was the star of Scream 7 and was fired for just uh, stating basic true things about what is going on in Gaza right now. It's a really uh, alarming climate. It's something that's been increasing in severity and intensity over the last couple of weeks. So it was great to uh, talk with Kylie about that and and other things as well. Uh, We talked a little about how uh, you know, LGBTQIA plus rights and abortion rights are kind of used by people to sort of justify this kind of ongoing bombing campaign in Gaza. Uh, we talked about the kind of liberal mask slipping moment that's going on right now. Um, the ultimate example of this is that the halal cart uh, harasser guy, Stuart, what's his name? Stuart, let me check, I'm going to check now. Stuart Seldowitz who, uh, as an update now, has been arrested by the NYPD for, like, aggravated stalking and harassment and uh, discrimination uh, based on religion. So Stuart, not having the best time, I think, seemed like he was engaging in some some really racist behavior uh, with the understanding that he was kind of allowed to do this and he would be, he had the kind of power dynamic uh, and the power of the state behind him, but... So I think he fucked around a little bit too much. And uh, unfortunately, Stuart's finding out now. He's not quite at the level of sort of serious media person or political figure that you can get away with that kind of thing. So uh, Stuart's uh, unfortunately having a bit of a rough time now. Uh, In other news, there was uh, a a moment yesterday when there was this explosion at the Rainbow Bridge uh, outside Niagara Falls, which was immediately framed as a terrorist attack and just turned out to be some rich guy driving his... uh, Bentley, I think it was, and just going driving over a fence and having his car burst into flames just because he's an asshole, not because of any political motivation that I know of. I know we're all waiting for the next moment where one of these things is going to happen and they're going to discover a, a Hamas headband and an ISIS flag and a, and a copy of Mein Kampf and one of those little stuffed octopus things in there. And uh, I think we're all waiting for that moment, but this this was not that. The final thing I guess I can talk about is that it was, just yesterday, the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination, which, as you know, and I know, and everyone involved with this show knows, was, uh, in fact, a coup d'etat on the part of the sort of Nazi-sympathizing wing of the United States security and intelligence apparatus, uh, led by Alan Dulles. Of course, in conjunction with the cowboy wing, working together to uh, assassinate JFK and initiate the in coup d'etat. And I'm glad that we're all in agreement that those are the facts of that case. Anyway, let's get to this conversation with Kylie Chung. Uh, it was really great stuff. Thanks so much, everyone who tunes into the podcast and supports the work that we do on here. Uh, if you'd like to get access to previous bonus episodes and support this content, you can check out insurgentspod.com. And now let's talk to Kylie Chung. She's going to be joining the show right after this.
So just to get us started off, though, Kylie, I got a quick question, quick icebreaker question. Um, it's a lot. Of, it's been a contentious uh, topic going around uh, today. I wanted to get your take on it, which is uh, Lightning McQueen, <laughs> seven piston cups. You, do, you, do you think that makes him the greatest or what's your stance? On I, mean, I just keep seeing like quotes from like that really ridiculous segment but like i just need to be in the right headspace before like i watch it and i haven't yet yeah oh okay you've been turned it off i understand um in the third grade i like my third grade crush had like he was like a huge lightning mcqueen fan so okay i want to say so i want to say he is the greatest within that cars universe okay well, this is the thing I'm referencing yeah. this this Stephen A. Smith video that was going out today, where he he pushed back on that a little bit, and he suggested that he referenced some Cars character that I'm not even familiar with, um, who also had won seven Piston Cups and was kind of <laughs> casting doubt on the idea that that Lightning McQueen was the greatest because he was tied with someone else. But you know, really, it's not about you know Michael Jordan didn't win as many championships as some other people like Bill Russell or you know. Other people have won more championships. It's really not about the number of championships, but really about how that you is so true. how you contributed to the sport. You know whether you were you know, what level you were at, whether you what your your uh, contribution to the sport meant and culture in general. So I think yeah. maybe Stephen A was a little bit off on that analysis. You know, I as a James Harden super fan, if championships <laughs> were the most important thing to me, I don't even know how I would yeah. live. So I I agree with that. I do. How are things in the Harden hive? You know, it's um, been a, it's been a turbulent hmm. couple of months or years, really. Years, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been it's been interesting. He had like a five game losing streak, I think, to start joining the Clippers, but then he's kind of the one who turned the tide for them. So it's as usual with him. It really is. It really is a classic case of it's over and we're back, which I feel like is yeah. just for me the last ten years yeah. of being a fan, but. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of it's a, a vibe roller coaster. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, but uh, I'm happy that you were able to come back on the show to talk to me. You, you talked when we, we uh, connected. You mentioned you're fun employed right now because <laughs> of uh, what happened with uh, with Jezebel, where you were writing before, which I was sorry to hear about. Um, so it's a it's a terrible thing to have happened if you personally. But it worked out for, you know, the purposes of creating content for this uh, for this podcast. Um, how is that going though? Like what, I mean, I must, I know that must've been pretty rough, but I mean, how are you feeling at the moment about, you know, the state of media and, and like this kind of independent media that was thriving so much a couple of years ago, which now seems to be systematically getting yeah. kind of dismantled. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I was at Jezebel for two years, like when this happened and to be honest, I mean, that was longer than I, I thought I would be just because of how unstable digital media is. So yeah, I mean, I, I loved working there and I loved everyone I worked with and I loved what I got to do. So it is very sad. But um, yeah, I'm glad that we all still have each other and are supporting each other. And, you know, I think it's because of like what our union was able to um, secure for us, like back in March 2022, when we went on strike, you know, there's we do have. Um, some security that I'm really grateful for. And um, yeah, I mean, having a bit of time off, especially right now, and, you know, it's a very emotionally difficult time is something I'm kind of yeah. grateful for, honestly. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, it has been a really kind of strange and, and disturbing phenomenon over the last decade or so, seeing these like kind of outlets like Jezebel yeah. or Deadspin or Gawker, um, that have big audiences, they have lots of reach, they even have like cultural capital, which is the most impossible thing yeah. to kind of recreate. And seeing this kind of the way that they're being kind of systematically bought out by these kind of tech bozos who, you know, either don't know what to do with it or try to try to, you know, increase those profit margins and ended up shuttering like all these like kind of fairly popular and prominent and, and somewhat important um, outlets. It's it's a weird thing to witness from my perspective, and I imagine it's weird to be a part of as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to your point, I mean, like, the readership was always there. I mean, it really was, you know, I think you can look at pretty much most cases of 
of most similar cases within digital media. And a lot of it is kind of just like corporate mismanagement and people in those positions just not knowing what what they're doing, unfortunately. And obviously the people who pay the price aren't them. So, yeah. Yeah. It was interesting to see that kind of play out. And that was one of the things that made Succession feel <laughs> such like a real kind of like uh, it gave it this sense of reality that I think sometimes the, these shows miss when they... Uh, when they try to recreate that kind of world, it was funny seeing Kendall interact with that uh, that whole that whole universe. Yeah, what was it? I mean, there's that comp- I don't even know, but he tried to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called now either. I think it started with a V. <laughs> Valter. Yeah, exactly. Valter, the trials and tribulations of Valter. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, the main thing that I wanted to uh, yeah. to talk to you about today, Kylie. I mean, we've we've been all kind of watching now for the last six weeks or so, just the sort of nonstop stream of uh, horrendous images and and stories coming out of uh, Gaza. I mean, it's had a lot of far-reaching consequences, but I think the kind of interesting uh, aspect of that that I wanted to talk about today is this kind of this kind of new wave of kind of McCarthyism, neo-McCarthyism. Yeah. That's kind of uh, really becoming prominent. It's not something that's just emerged over the last couple of days, but really it's been intensifying over the last six weeks. There's been a number of examples of people that have had uh, major consequences for their professional life just for speaking out about this. I remember a couple of weeks ago, there was, the, there was a Sixers beat writer when the Sixers put out a statement, you know, we stand with Israel at this time or something. And he was like, well, fuck this. It's annoying, you know, free Palestine loses his job. There's been a number of people that have had uh, personal career consequences for speaking out about this. There's people that have had legal consequences. Um, in, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, there was a, there was a guy that got arrested after saying from the river to the sea at a, at a protest. And those charges didn't end up sticking, but it's, it's also a really kind of scary method that I think like the state can use to kind of suppress speech and intimidate people out of, out of saying certain things. And, uh, it's really affecting Hollywood as well. Like now we've got Susan Sarandon was just dropped by her agency. There was the actress. Can you, do you remember her name? The actress from the, the scream, yeah, I think the scream film was Melissa Barrera. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So she's been fired from the scream franchise. Um, which also seems to be like there's a kind of a little bit of a discrepancy when you have Hollywood actresses like Sarah Silverman or Amy Schumer just being like, no, I think it's good that uh, Israel is bombing kids in Gaza. And I think they should actually cut off food and water and medical supplies and don't seem to have any kind of repercussions for that. And then you see, you know, people just sharing basic words of solidarity, sharing like uh, sharing words from like, uh, genocide scholars about uh, about what is happening, and then be, and then being told like we don't allow anyone to make misrepresentations about uh, genocide or apartheid in Israel, despite the fact that like every major human rights organization agrees that that's exactly what's happening there. It's it's kind of a really bizarre discrepancy, but uh, yeah, I guess that's what I was wondering like what your what your takeaway was from this over the last couple of days and seeing this kind of wave of of. Uh, uh, firings and consequences in Hollywood um, affecting these kind of, affecting these people. Yeah, no, I mean it's. I just you know it's it's just it's truly so crazy that we could all see. I mean, I think Amy Schumer like shared social media posts that like literally just said Gazans are rapists, and I mean I think she's promoting new work right now. She hasn't been dropped by anyone, and then Sarah Silverman was obviously just on The Daily Show, and she had literally shared something saying that like Gazans don't deserve like food and water or that they're like taking it from Israel when I think the the opposite I would say is true I mean it's just it's so yeah it's incredibly interesting I mean um let me think like because to your point I mean a lot of the consequences that people are facing it's for just kind of speaking to what we're all seeing with our own eyes I mean um yeah, and, you know, I think it's just so... Or, like, I think that um, Spyglass, which is, like, the studio that dropped Melissa, like, they said that their issue with what she'd shared was that um, she made false references to genocide and ethnic cleansing. And I just think that's, like, it's incredible to say that when, you know, I think the latest numbers I've seen are that, like, 
at least 17,000 Palestinians in Gaza have been killed. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's incredible to like be angry at someone for using certain words and not have issue with like what's actually happening. And like, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think that, you know, of course, like it's interesting because like we're seeing this very much escalated right now, but at the same time, you know, I'm also reading, you know, that this isn't by like for, for Palestinians, like within this industry, within any industry, it's like, it's not new where it's like many like Palestinian Americans and such have like always kind of been or like had to be like careful to even talk about like who they are or where they come from because the identity is just so politicized and seen as being inherently threatening. Um, And then, I mean, like even in 2021, I remember like Mark Ruffalo like used the word genocide and then there was all this pressure on him to walk it back. So, I mean, that word and like calling the violence that Israel perpetrates against Palestinians for what it is has always been, it's always like carried this needless like threat even for someone like Mark Ruffalo which is just really chilling um yeah and you know I think it's like it's really like you know despite all of that I think what's really empowering is that you know you have all of these threats to the careers and the financial livelihoods of so many people including people who aren't millionaires and aren't celebrities and yet like you'll still see these protests like and they'll be huge like you know the support is there and no amount of like these really terrifying threats is really making that support go anywhere. And I think that that's incredibly powerful and that, you know, when you see these people face any kind of consequences, you know, it's supposed to make an example of them and it's supposed to like make an example of what happens if you do speak out against like genocide and apartheid and all of that. But, you know, I think if anything, instead of like discouraging people from doing so, like it should encourage people to speak up more instead of like letting a few people hang out to dry because it really seems to be that like and I mean it's just like all we really have are like our our solidarity and our numbers because you know we're the ones who can mainstream support for Palestine and that's extremely important and powerful but it relies on all of us really doing our part um yeah (laughs) sorry that was a bit of a tangent yeah, no, but I mean, it's it's something I've noticed as well. And all these efforts like around the world to like uh, to ban certain phrases yeah. or to ban even these protests themselves. And that's been the kind of incredible thing about this moment is people kind of refusing to allow that to, to work. Like these kind of threats are not new when it comes to people talking about yeah. this particular subject, especially. And that's what does feel a little bit different. Um, you know, you know, if you've been following this for a few years, you've been seeing people, I think each time there's this, uh, uptick in, in brutal violence in Gaza, people getting a little bit more comfortable for talking about it, despite whatever accusations or threats are going to come their way. And like you said, I think, uh, uh, the more people that end up do speaking out of it, the less, the less possible it is to kind of use that to, uh, to frighten people out of talking about it. Um, there's also been these big distortions as well, like when like Susan Sarandon was the big uh, uh, news yesterday her, when her agency dropped her for making a statement, which, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but suggesting that, you know, if, if Jewish people right now in America feel unsafe, kind of saying like, well, that's what a lot of Muslim people in America felt like for years and years and years and kind of trying to equate this, not celebrating it or thinking that it's a good thing, but saying, this is like, this is like what a lot of people, Muslims in particular live with often. And like, maybe that's something we can think on and reflect on. And then it gets distorted into this kind of like this alternate version of, of what was said where it's like, no, I think it's good that Jewish people are scared and, it's really bizarre uh, the way people are are able to kind of take these words and these what should be kind of an innocuous uh, statement and turn it into this like uh, basically a hate crime. Um, it's very strange to see. I was I, I'm not complaining about seeing all the Sarandon pics on the, the timeline though. <laughs> oh, she's a beautiful woman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that no, yeah, it's it's so scary to me. Like because I think that you know distortion is at the heart of so much of like the policing of of language that we've been seeing because i think that yeah i think that so much of um so much of like zionist attacks have really relied on distortion because you know really what these people who are getting in trouble are saying it's really just there's there's no violence to it there's nothing there's 
yeah, let me just try to gather my thoughts. I mean, it's so interesting. Well, and it, yeah. seems to, it seems to be like um, there's this bizarre phenomenon where we're seeing the real violence that's yeah. afflicting that's 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 afflicting people. Like you said, it's like tens of thousands of people, thousands of children have been killed. And there's been this bizarre effort for people to, you know, suggest that, you know, we shouldn't speak up about that because it makes another group of people feel like unsafe or feel like it's they're being the victims of some crime or they're being the victims of genocide. But we're, so we're supposed to deny what we see with our own two eyes and worry more and center more the feelings of people who are not going through that kind of violence and are not going through that kind of uh calamity yeah it's yeah. been really weird to see this play out i mean just like the from the river to the sea discourse from like congress like a few weeks ago was just yeah. incredibly like nauseating because it's it's just such bad faith like anyone who hears it knows it's just like you know in this in this space where palestinians movement is just completely policed or they literally are locked in what's essentially these camps where they they can't move and they have no mobility of course like from the river to the sea is obviously about like freedom and movement and all of like something extremely basic and peaceful as that. So it's, it's incredible to see like the mindsets of like, or I don't even know if it's like their real mindsets, but just like the incredible distortions of like saying that that's calling for the genocide of Israeli people when it's, it's really, I mean, it's, it's just crazy to me that the mindset could even exist, that this can only end in like the genocide of Palestinians or the genocide of Israeli people. And that's not, the case at all and it's just i think that that level of projection is just really terrifying because i mean obviously there's so many or there's paths forward for peace that don't involve any more people having to experience that violence but i don't think that that you know exists alongside the existence of an apartheid state and i don't think that should be controversial to say and it's just like it's so clear that there's a difference between like a state having a right to exist and people having a right to exist. And, you know, people aren't calling for harm to aren't calling for harm to the Israeli people at all. And so it's, it's incredible that, you know, that extremely like innocent and like historical slogan for, you know, for freedom and peace is distorted in such a bad faith way. And, you know, it it also reminds me of like um, for Muslim people who call like, those who are killed martyrs you know it's just it's just like a cult like a cultural term and because it's unfamiliar yeah. to um i don't know like secular liberals it's like the worst possible things are projected onto it and it's just really yeah. we've all been so yeah. warped by all the decades of war on terror yeah. kind of propaganda as well so exactly. that, that's when that ref- when that word is used to reference just people who are killed and it's not a reference to terrorism or anything like that but it, it shows how this kind of Islamophobia has totally permeated like every aspect of our of our discourse. Yeah, like it's it's. I think that's yeah. been the weird thing to see, right? Is like yeah. for for a lot of people in in media in politics, Islamophobia has been so normalized, and it's almost like totally ignored or totally like. There's people in the U.S. government and the Canadian government that have built up whole careers with vile, like heinous uh, Islamophobia. Um, and it's very strange how that's been sort of normalized in our discourse. Yeah, like who? And then yeah. a lot of these are the same people that are lecturing yeah. us about our language now, you know? Who, or that guy who like was harassing the halal cart people and he worked for yeah, the, the Bush and, yeah, the Bush and Obama administrations. Like, and he, I think he was like, he like oversaw like an office on like Israel and Palestine affairs, which is yeah. insane. Um, yeah, wasn't it, it was part of the State Department there, and then was it was a national security advisor yeah. under under Obama, Ugh, and it, and really deranged, like watching that clip and and the discrepancy between seeing the clip of him returning to this halal cart multiple times, and then you hear this. You, I saw the statement from him today, being like, "Well, I don't think I'm an Islamophobic guy," and in the heat of the moment, like it's not a heat yeah. of the moment, like oh you're returning God. repeatedly to harass <sighs> a man who works at a food cart. You know, and he has got this kind of sick, deranged yeah. smile at the same time. It's so creepy. This whole last couple of weeks has been such, I think, a mask off moment for this kind of liberal class, this kind of liberal ruling class who kind of have disguised a lot of their their true feelings with this kind of rhetoric of, of human rights and progressivism and liberalism. And people are getting more and more comfortable, I think, articulating like what they actually think about certain things like the 
like the guy, the halal cart guy, he's not this some isolated incident. Like these are the kind of people that are setting policy, like at the higher levels of the United States government. And uh, I think it's been really revealing over the last couple of weeks to see like what some of these people actually believe. Yeah, um, it's it's very disturbing. Yeah, I think, and I mean, just the fact that he was in the Bush and Obama administrations, I mean, it just really under. I mean, like Islamophobia is just such a bipartisan problem, and like wanting to do this like bloodlust to do terrible things within the Middle East region is just it's extremely bipartisan. So I mean, this I don't know. We're just seeing. I don't like. It's just been so head spinning i think to see so much of the discourse online from like these like the tradition or like the kind of like resistance liberal type online just this really this fixation on like shaming anyone who like criticizes biden or like suggests they wouldn't vote for biden has been really crazy because that energy could obviously be focused on like pressuring this administration to stop aiding and enabling and funding this awful genocide yeah. it's nothing yeah. i can do jack yeah. <laughs> like, i um, yeah yeah and well and it's it's been strange even seeing that reaction not only to people saying like no i'm not going to vote for democrats anymore i'm not going to vote for joe biden but even even people reacting to polling just seeing polling numbers of like younger generation with the huge discrepancy, like overwhelmingly support Palestine and are very skeptical of these kind of narratives when it comes to Israel. Um, and, you know, people are looking for all kinds of reasons for why that is. Like, should we ban TikTok? It's because of some some dangerous, nefarious uh, Chinese algorithm that's like brainwashing our youth to think that dropping bombs on little kids in a concentration camp is bad. You know, it's really strange. But then like, yeah, seeing polling of this kind of generation and seeing this kind of discrepancy and people getting the, the, the try to lecture them just from looking at that being like, well, I guess you're, you're I guess you're going to like Trump then <laughs> when it's oh literally just God. people responding to a poll saying, I don't approve of what the administration is doing currently. People are so like in that mentality. Yeah. And they're, it's a year out from the next uh, U.S. election and they're already bringing out all the exact same tired arguments about that. And I, it seems like there's this sense of frustration that they're having less and less ability to like use those arguments and successfully frighten people out of out of voting for the the, the good guys yeah. or the, the lesser evil or whatever oh and they're 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 reacting in like this like re- these really angry ways as a result yeah and you know and it's like voting is it's a it's a strategy a lot of i mean like i people can make whatever decision they need to make but i mean you know i I just don't think you could ever really call in good faith, like what's happening and what the Biden administration is doing, like a lesser evil than anything. Like that's just not how yeah. I see it. It's so interesting. And I mean, you know, it's like, I just really think if you look at the polling, especially, you know, to your point, like the age breakdowns and such, it really seems clear that, I mean, like people who are criticizing, you know, the democratic party and these awful decisions that like overwhelmingly every almost every democrat in congress and the white house have been standing with it's really about like these are coming from people who clearly want to make the party better or are thinking about the future because this is what's happening is completely unacceptable to like an entire generation of voters and if you're thinking about the future and you care about the future at all you'd probably be responsive or receptive to that so yeah i mean it's it's incredible that any criticism is just met with like Oh, I bet you love Trump or you want that <laughs> Trump Muslim ban or something. And it's, it's just, yeah. incredible. it's, it's incredible. It's such a, it really is such a mind fuck to see. Yeah. And it's not even just about Palestine as well. It's yeah. like, uh, you see them supporting uh, violence in Gaza. It's uh, not acting on, on climate or not acting yeah. nearly enough to the extent that the crisis uh, demands. Um, it's student debt, like no relief there. No kind of like healthcare, public option, all the things that they're kind of pitching at these younger generations yeah. of more progressive people, which have not materialized. Um, it's, you know, abortion rights being taken away under their watch, like regardless of the excuse yeah. that they want to have about the Supreme Court or whatever. But like people yeah. internalize that and it's like it becomes really not an effective way to lecture people about like how things how bad are things going to be yeah. when the other guys are in charge. But it's like people are looking around and saying, like, I don't really see meaningfully what the difference is going to be. Yeah, no, I think no, to your last point about like abortion, it's so interesting, like because I mean, that is mostly like the area where I did a lot of like reporting and like writing for a really long time. And it's just, so it's, it's always kind of like, I don't want to say I have to laugh, but sometimes I like, I do 
have to laugh when people like really fixate on that specifically when you know the reality of what we saw for a very long time is that like democratic leadership in positions when they could have acted they neglected to because you know these attack these horrible attacks on reproductive rights by republicans it makes for something solid to like fundraise on and to like campaign on and such and you know and i think that you know we definitely saw like within the obama administration there really were times when you know more action could have been taken but i think obama himself said that that was not a priority i believe in 2009 and then like now here we are and it's just like you know and i think that you can say that without like minimizing the fact that republicans are obviously ter- like terrible on abortion and there's like and they like po like these laws that they propose are like truly terrible and you can also that truth coexists with the fact that the democratic party on the federal level certainly has never really been good or sufficient on this issue either and so yeah the idea that they're now saying if if you don't vote for biden this or that i mean it's kind of it's just kind of laughable it really is i don't know yeah and i mean it's a good it's a good segue to talk about the ways to to bring it back to israel and gaza like i saw saw actor michael rapaport was talking about this and i think there's some weirdo in your mentions that i saw (laughs) yelling at you about it saying like oh you know you support you so you say you don't support israeli genocide in gaza well what do you think about uh, abortion laws in gaza you know and it's i don't even know where to start with that it's such a bizarre argument you know if you if you're trying to cajole people into supporting israel it's like you know we can have all kinds of criticism about Hamas or Gaza or religious fundamentalism or these kinds of things. But one thing that for sure doesn't help anybody, whether it's women needing abortions or anybody else is dropping thousands of bombs on them and killing thousands of people. I think that's something we should all agree on, but people try to use these kind of wedge issues against progressive people to try and catch them in some in some gotcha moment or to suggest that they're they're not expressing kind of a coherent worldview but uh it's it's strange to me to see that but what do you what do you make of that as someone that has covered that issue so much yeah i mean i mean you just you almost have to laugh i mean i'm just trying to like because i mean him posting that very snidely like no caption no context just oh abortion is banned in gaza or something without any further context or anything you know it's it's very transparently about saying oh look at these people's terrible politics they deserve what's happening to them and like you know further like yeah like manufacturing that consent to like the the like the horrors and atrocities that Israel is inflicting there. But, you know, I mean, by that same logic, like the U.S. overturned Roe v. Wade, like in 2022, like it's hard, like, and I mean, like, you know, it, it extends from the same well of like all of these people who are kind of trying to do this gotcha of like, oh, Hamas is homophobic. So what do you have to say? What do you have to say for yeah. that now? Gotcha. But it's like the laws and protections around like LGBTQ people in the U.S. are terrible. To, like, I don't even know what, like the cognitive dissonance of that is crazy to me. And then for another thing, I mean, like, you know, just the, we're just seeing such horrible reproductive health outcomes in Gaza right now because of the bombardment, because of the blockade where people are having miscarriages and going into premature labor because of, you know, this obviously because of the distress of physically and emotionally of everything and the constant bombardment. And then, you know, we're also seeing it be the case that like, people will or pregnant people will like be impacted or struck by like these airstrikes and then you know doctors will try to save um their unborn child with emergency c-sections but then because of the blockade there's no anesthetic and it's just it's it's so horrifying that it like defies yeah and then you have like preterm babies who are like relying on incubators but these hospitals run out of fuel or are under under brutal attack yeah, they're being they're being yeah, attacked and, by the idf and the premature babies so i mean i don't know how it could get more innocent than like premature babies on incubators are just getting like killed and it's so it's incredible to me that you could pretend that you have any like this is some kind of gotcha or you have any concern when it's if anything i mean it just speaks to me like this like yeah i mean for one thing i mean the bombardment and like the years of occupation of not been good for any reproductive health outcomes in Gaza. And if you actually did even vaguely care about that, then you would be critical of what's happening and not like waving around this gotcha. So it's, it's crazy to me. And it's like, I mean, you know, in terms of their own 
political agency to determine those laws. I, you know, I think that like, you know, like they, there isn't really that level, that level of agency. And, you know, even so it's not like, oh, unless like this nation has like perfect laws, they deserve to like be bombed off the map. Like, what are you even trying to say with that? I can't even, I can't even really wrap my head around it. It's just, it's just almost, it's almost comical how just stupid it is. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it was worth engaging with. I was just really pissed off, but yeah. No, I know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really grotesque. I mean, the whole babies in incubators phenomenon. I mean, it's just, not only is it one of the most horrifying things that I've ever seen, um, and then you have these bizarre scenes of like these Israeli soldiers, like lifting the Israeli flag over a hospital and like building up this whole narrative that there's some kind of sprawling, uh, like GI Joe style command center under this hospital, um, which is then co-signed by the United States government and everything. And then they, so they bombard this hospital and, and, and of course it's resulting in this, this horror uh, patients being killed, doctors and nurses, and this situation with these these premature babies in incubators. And I think focusing on incubators is a, is a such a weird kind of uh, full circle moment because I don't know if you remember this, but in the run up to the original Iraq War, there's this infamous testimony by this young woman, uh, Naria, who testified about the horrors of the Iraqi regime and specifically the thing that everyone remembers from that was she was talking about these babies being ripped out of incubators. And was that was the big uh, atrocity horror propaganda that was used to uh, build consensus for the invasion, the original uh, uh, Iraq War in the early '90s. And it's it's so bizarre that you know 30 years later we're seeing you know our greatest ally in the Middle East literally be responsible for the death of not only thousands of children, but actual premature babies in incubators while we're attacking this hospital. And not only are we not stopping it, but we're, we're continuing to send them billions of dollars. We're continuing to arm them. We're continuing to back them up every time they, they need some kind of, uh, uh, assistance to, to suggest that these things are okay or they're justified. And, um, yeah, you have the Biden administration kind of trying to say like, well, you know, behind the scenes, we're urging restraint and using these kind of, this kind of rhetoric to suggest that they're really, they're working really hard on, on toning it down. But it, that's, that's to me, the, the most mind fuck element of this is the, is that we see all the things that we've used to justify attacks on other yeah. countries throughout the years. We're seeing Israel do that and, and more Ukraine is another example, right? The, the, Hire the civilian casualties, the bombing of infrastructure, collective punishment, uh, children being killed significantly more um, by our greatest ally. And yet, after all the the, the hand wringing and the accusations uh, about about Russia, not to suggest that that Russia is great or that the, that the war in Ukraine hasn't been a calamity for many people as well, but then when we have Israel doing it, the exact same things to a much greater extent were. Just we're hand, we're sending them the money and the ammunition and the bombs to do it and the diplomatic cover and it's enough to make you feel absolutely insane when you pay attention to it the the total cognitive dissonance in in these two things yeah no it's it's so yeah and you know I think to your point like like narratives about babies are just really so much like at the heart of so much of like how you know these nations like create like support and consensus for like militarism and atrocities so it's so like i think that there were also narratives about like saddam hussein and killing babies if that's correct or I, yeah I well that's know. what yeah. i think that's what i was talking about yeah. the, the incubators thing yeah and so it's so and like at the start of all of this there was that i don't even know the origin of it but the i the notion that like hamas had like beheaded 40 babies or something right. but then yeah. like the yeah. then israel said that there was no nothing to substantiate that but obviously by the time you say that like that narrative is everywhere biden just repeated it like last last week which is insane Even after it has yeah. been kind of shown to not be um, accurate but then you have these actual preterm babies who are i think at least i've seen like at least six were killed from being taken off the incubators and and there's like nothing it really it's, like, it's insane it's yeah. it's entirely about like narrative and like what does or doesn't reinforce like where you already stand in and it's so crazy and then to your point about like how um, this narrative that like Biden is like privately trying to like make 
like soften what Israel's doing. I mean, like it's like there was a report last night. I think I saw that was like they've been sending like the coordinates of like where humanitarian groups are to yeah. like supposedly make tell, sure you don't yeah. bomb these. But yeah. then they keep doing that. So I, it's just it's it's incredible, and it's like I don't really care like what rhetoric Biden does or doesn't use, or if he condemns this Islamophobia or not. If he's supplying the weapons and the funding and legitimizing what's what's happening i mean it's you know like it's just i feel like i'm losing my mind when people try to suggest any of this could be like calm through some talks to tell is like it's it's so it's it does just make you feel crazy yeah and like you said i think the the whole thing about you know abortion rights in gaza it's it's downstream from the general uh phenomenon of trying to kind of pink wash uh, imperialism or colonialism, which and Israel is a is a big culprit of that, of suggesting that it's some haven for for LGBTQIA plus rights. There was that image of like an IDF oh guy like kissing his boyfriend and a bunch of rubble, like and holding a rainbow flag, like to really like put a, a real exclamation point on it, just to really spell out uh, to everybody. Um, it's really strange, you know, and not only is it not really accurate and that Israel is not actually a bastion of, of rights for these groups, it definitely doesn't help. And gay and trans and queer Palestinians can attest to the fact that it doesn't help them in any way to bomb and murder them by the hundreds or thousands. Um, that's not actually something that helps uh, promote those kinds of rights. Um, and I think you said something else interesting that I think is uh, worth pointing out as well, that when it comes to as much as the way that like in the West, in Canada and the United States, we've kind of tried to style ourselves as these defenders of of gay and trans and queer rights and representation. These are very, this is a very recent phenomenon. Like it was not long ago, it was in very recent history that all of these groups were still uh horrifically persecuted in our society and still are. Um, and even whatever meager rights uh, have been granted to some of these groups over the last couple of years are being taken away now. Um, hopefully not, but like we're seeing that there's still this effort to kind of claw these back. Um, so it's just, it's really just so cynical. I think the way that we kind of use these, this kind of language to try and justify this like horrible genocidal violence against you know, civilians, women, men, children, doctors, nurses, teachers, uh, artists. I mean, it's just, and, and I think to what we were saying earlier, this is why younger generations are just rejecting this now because they're not, there's this disconnect between the language and the rhetoric that's being used by our political leaders. And we're seeing what their actual values are, you know, when it comes to like our Western values about democracy and freedom and human rights and freedom of the press as well as Israel's just massacring journalists and massacring their families. It's not just domestically, like people internationally that have been lectured about these things by Western countries for decades. It's all just clear as day to everyone. If it wasn't before that, we don't actually hold these values um, that this is entirely just this kind of uh, weaponized sort of liberal language that we use to, uh, enforce our own kind of worldview and our own economic system on other nations. It's becoming more and more clear to everyone around the world. And it's definitely becoming clear to people in our society, especially young people. And that's why they're, they're panicking right now because they're realizing that they're losing an entire generation of people who are no longer going to be swayed by these kinds of arguments. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's incredibly, yeah, it's incredibly, you don't get a great feeling watching what's happening. No, no, you don't. You don't get a great feeling at all. You get a lot of really bad feelings, actually. And I think just the one thing I wanted to mention as well was just talking about uh, this uh, Melissa Beria, the actress who was fired from Scream 7, um, and talking about the ways that, you know, so she's fired for making statements about apartheid, about ethnic cleansing, about genocide. And then there's this kind of stern warning um, saying, like, you can't distort anything that's happening. You can't use this kind of language. It's anti-Semitic versus talking about the discrepancy between our, our words and actions versus you have actual people in the Israeli government going on TV and saying for themselves, we're doing genocide. We're doing ethnic cleansing. We don't care about civilians. We don't care about any of that. Um, and being very open and honest about what their intentions are, that they do want to 
uh, ethnically cleanse Gaza, that they don't want Palestinians, that they do want one nation from the river to the sea called Israel that they control entirely. Um, they're very clear about this. They're not really shy about it, but we're supposed to sort of pretend that it's somehow harmful or wrong or immoral or anti-Semitic to suggest that like they're doing the things that they're openly saying that they're doing. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's just, it, it's just such an example, I think, of the bad faith that is being that the bad faith through which people are are now like using the term anti-semitic when you know anti-semitism is extremely real and if anything it places jewish people in danger to make that word become effectively or to try to make the word become meaningless by just associating it with any kind of criticism of israel or what the u.s government is doing or any support for palestine i mean like yesterday there was like a new hampshire democratic senator i was just going to bring this up yeah Yeah. (laughs) like people protested this horrible like weapons manufacturer that's like a billion dollar like corporation i believe that is making these weapons that are like incinerating children and so people protested it and like allegedly like vandalized like the facilities and i believe the senator like likened it to like the rise in anti-semitism when this is like a billion dollar corporation making weapons and it's not being protested for any association with judaism but because of what they're create they're like creating and it's it's about like making the word meaningless to like squash any dissent toward the violence that's happening and it's 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 just it's so dangerous for so many different people yeah i mean i saw i saw someone because i think on this building they set off like uh smoke bombs or something like that uh, allegedly and yeah i saw someone uh criticizing one of the young activists that was involved in this direct action kala walsh who i know i've talked to her before and she's a really uh inspiring person i'm like totally amazed by some of the values and and activism that this younger generation is getting involved in considering the absolute dumbass that i was when i was uh, 19 (laughs) And but no, suggesting that like oh yeah, they were just uh, a few years ago they were just uh, progressive activists. Now they're now they're firebombing the Jews. Like that's they described putting off a smoke bomb on the roof of a weapons manufacturer that makes drones and weapon systems that's used to kill Palestinians. And that was that becomes firebombing the Jews. And like that's that's where we're at with these kind of accusations of anti-Semitism and this kind of language. It's it's truly amazing that 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 like that's where we're going. It's kind of like, it's almost like it's beyond parody. Like if you said that a few years ago, it would have been like a joke or even not even a funny joke. Like it would be too absurd to believe. But now there's people that are unironically going out and saying stuff like that. It's, it's pretty alarming. It's yeah, I think it's, it's terrifying. And you know, yeah, I mean, making that word like lose meaning is it's, it's ter- like it's terrible for obviously the people who are being punished and like smeared in that way when they're just, you know, standing against like militarism and against apartheid but you know it obviously also is harmful for for jewish people who do experience real anti-semitism but you know when you're calling protesting a weapons manufacturer anti-semitic i mean it's it's about like taking meaning away from that word and that's incredibly scary yeah and i mean on that on that level talking about um the ways that genuine actual anti-Semites are kind of helped by this this narrative and this very cynical employment of these kind of accusations. I mean, one of the one of the biggest tropes that anti-Semites like to perpetrate is that Jews control all these different institutions. They control finance or government or Hollywood. And it's like, well, one way to give those exact people ammunition when they make these kind of claims is to fire every single actor and actress that says anything about supporting Palestine or has any criticism for Israel. Um, It reinforces this exact kind of conspiracy and it gives ammunition to the most vile people who uh, don't care about Palestine and actually do uh, have these really horrible anti-Semitic beliefs. Um, so it's really becomes this kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's like they're, they're, they're feeding into these exact conspiracy theories that anti-Semites have been using for now years and years. And with seemingly no, no real awareness of that, it's, it's really bizarre. Yeah. It's yeah. And I mean, like just the fact that there are like legitimate, like neo-Nazis who are elected officials who are just standing with Israel very vocal. I mean, it, there's just such a divide, like in. I mean, in terms of, I don't even know what I'm saying, but I'm just like, (laughs) it's just, it's so clear that like 
some of the loudest critics of like any perceived anti-Semitism when free Palestine is perceived as anti-Semitic, they don't have any actual concern for like real anti-Semitism. And it's really just yeah. about, about like, I don't know, supporting Israel through every awful thing that it's doing and nothing more than that. Yeah. And the ultimate example of that was the other day when, when, uh, Elon Musk mm-hmm. co-signed that that tweet of a guy saying like Jews are basically responsible for <clears throat> importing immigrants into our society and like diluting and mongrelizing our pure uh, white gene. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. obviously. And Elon's like, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Which is like I mentioned this in the last episode. This is pretty much like word for word the justification that the the shooter at the Tree of Life synagogue yeah. used to carry out this horrific uh, attack in the in the synagogue. Um, and then it just shows the next day Elon says like, well, you know what? I'm going to ban the phrase from the river to the sea from X.com. And you have people like Jonathan Greenblatt at the ADL saying like, okay, yeah, good. No, good job. Thank you. So it just, it, that's the ultimate expression of that, of that weird discrepancy where you can say pretty much whatever you want. You can contribute to all these conspiracies. You can co-sign all these really vile uh, beliefs. But if you have full support for Israel and whatever it is they're doing, uh, you're going to be okay. You're not going to be, have any kind of consequences for that. And it's like, I don't know where we're supposed to go from there. You know, it's a, it's a. Very strange. Very strange. God, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Elon. I mean, I guess the, I can't believe the apartheid uh, South Africa guy <laughs> would uh, would uh, go along with that. It's very shocking. Can't I thought that. he was such a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you too much longer, Kylie. Thank you for coming on the show to talk to me. It's a it's a pleasure as always to to catch up with you. I know you're fun employed right now technically but is there is there anything you want to promote or tell people where they can reach out to you or are you doing any more writing like anywhere else or uh what, what do you have going on um i think well i am on twitter my handle's kylie t chung um and yeah i mean my book on gender-based violence came out of it earlier this year you could still get that and yeah as for what i'm doing next year we will it's a big we'll see right now but <laughs> yeah that's fun the future is ripe with possibilities. That's, that's exciting. Um, thanks again for joining the show. It was great to talk to you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. 